Hello, welcome to Let's Talk Love. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking with Matthias Barker, who is a psychotherapist based in Nashville, Tennessee. I took Matthias's couple workshop and I learned so much. His course is about how to talk about what matters with your partner without explosive conflict or withdrawal. Matthias gives us tools for avoiding blame and criticism and instead communicating with love and honesty while being mindful of consent. We also discuss personality science and why understanding yours and your partner's personality traits can help you resolve conflicts. I had a lot of fun talking to Matthias, and I hope you enjoy too. Welcome to the Let's Talk Love podcast, where we flip the script on outdated narratives and cliches about love and relationships. I'm your host, Robin Ducharme, founder of Real Love Ready. This podcast is for anyone who wants to be better at love, regardless of relationship status. We'll talk about the intimate connections in our lives and the challenges and complexities inherent in those partnerships. Through our no-holds-barred interviews with global experts, we'll gain insight about ourselves and learn new skills to improve our relationships. Because when we learn to love better, we make the world a better place. Are you ready for open and honest conversations about love? Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Love. I am so excited to welcome our guest today, Matthias Parker. Hello. Thank you for having me here. (laughs) Thank you for joining us, Matthias. I've been following your work and learning from you for a long time. And I recently took your couples workshop course, which was fantastic. And of course, I watch your daily Instagrams and listen to your podcast. And so it is a great pleasure to meet you. I feel like, and I'm sure you hear this from a lot of people that follow you in your community, that you feel like you kind of know you because you're just, you're like a regular voice and person that we learn from on a daily yeah. basis. So. That's so kind to say. Uh, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad it comes off and like it's that. Like, like you, your studio, which is, I think, your home, or maybe this is your... Yeah, I'm where, actually where in my work, garage. Right? Yeah, the, it looks That's very awesome. fancy. If you're, if you're looking at the video, it, it looks is, fancy. But yeah, there's like fancy. a cat box over there. There's like some boxes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's so not tell me, yeah. so you're in Nashville, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nashville, Tennessee. Beautiful. Nashville is such a beautiful, beautiful city. And it's I, I love the music scene. It's just, it's so artsy as well. Beautiful art galleries and really enjoyed my time there. Yeah, it's been a, it's cool. It's a city that's actually been shifting and changing a lot too. Just with, since yes. COVID and everything, it's on the people moving here. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. It's kind of a renaissance of Nashville. We'll see what it turns into. Yeah. So yeah. Matthias, can you give people, um, give our listeners a brief, well, just tell us about yourself and how you became a psychotherapist. Sure. And, yeah. and where, and what you're doing in your day, day to day, because I know you're definitely, you know, active, um, on social with your podcast and your courses, but you're also work, you work in a, in a mm-hmm. clinic, right? Well, I have my own private practice. Yep. So, no, um, yeah, practice. I'm a therapist. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a, I'm a psychotherapist. I, I deal with mostly just, um, all forms of relational trauma. And, and so that kind of covers a pretty wide span of situations. So I do a lot of couples counseling, um, you know, the traumas that can present themselves within a couple's situation, either, you know, one or both people having a background, maybe of some sort of trauma that's contributing to some difficulties in the relationship or not. But um, I find myself talking a lot about substance use and, and domestic violence and 
and a lot of maybe different presentations of hard relationships, but all maybe within the bounds of how do the experiences that we went through in the past or maybe experiences that have happened within the relationship contribute to the trust or the intimacy that people are experiencing. And so that's very common. Um, I do a lot of work with one-on-one uh, with people as well. So people who want to heal from childhood experiences or people who are trying to work out boundaries they want to set with their parents or, um, I don't know, trying to heal a relationship with a kid that where there's been wounding. And so I guess uh, my day-to-day looks pretty different depending on who I'm talking to. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite parts about the job is there's always a new, you know, conversation to explore. Um, but all of it perhaps having that common thread of how do we heal from the things that have happened to us. So, yeah, that's that's my work as a psychotherapist. So I do that probably half the week. And then the other half of the week I'm doing videos and workshops and I'm writing and have a lot of activity online um, full of different stuff I'm always making. So between that and some travels and speaking, I try to uh, cut back on that um, <laughs> and spend more time with family. I have, I have two really young kids. And so I, I keep that in a minimum, I guess, is what I'm saying. But yeah. I, I do do that occasionally as well. Excellent. Well, I took, like I said in the intro, I took your couples workshop yeah. and I just love your approach, Matthias. Like I learned, I learned a lot in the course. Yeah. What'd you think? And I thought we, I, I really thought it was, I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, okay, I need to know more about this and this and this. So I thought great, we would just yeah. dive into those, yeah, dive great. into it. <laughs> so, um, this, I, and I've got quotes from you. And so you say, when we bond together, we become a more dynamic force in the world. Mm. So the idea that I want, I'd like you to talk about this more, please, around how we're wired to bond, mm. but also how a partnership dynamic um, functions to our benefit. Because you talk about you talk about that, yeah, in the beginning of the course. I do, you know, and then we could talk about the bond. The whole course, yeah. you know, was was also kind of undergirded by this idea that you know, it's, it's beneficial to understand your partner's personality and specifically to understand the difference. Yes. And I want to dive into that too. Personality. And so one of the benefits of that, when you have an appreciation for the ways that your partner's different than you is that you can actually take both of your perspectives and engage the world in a more dynamic way, because you could think it's like, you're looking at a 3d object from just your perspective. Like you might be able to notice some things, but in some ways that, that, you know, as it appears to you, that's a two dimensional object. You're only looking at one facet one perspective of that object in your hand but if someone's standing on the other side if someone comes from a different point of view they might see things about that object that you don't see what looks like a circle to you looks like a rectangle to them and then it looks like you're dealing with a cylinder you know so there's a there's a an advantage to bonding and pairing up and this this is just like the principle of any relationship not just romantic but having friendships in your life and you know living your life embedded within a community of people that you trust and you care about um being a good, even just, you know, citizen of your, you know, country or your state, you know, Mm -hmm. being able to be involved within your community at whatever level is, you know, to everyone's advantage. If we can have everyone's perspective, if everyone's voice has a place and can be heard and we can incorporate all of that, that's, that's to our profound benefit. And so when we're talking about bonding, when we're talking about romantic bonding, we're talking about who's the person that you're matching your life with and who's going to be in the closest proximity to you, both emotionally, physically, just approximately, you know, in your day-to-day life, you sleep next to them, you know, perhaps whatever. Who is the person that you're leaning on their perspective um, to engage with the world? And if you are in a deeply untrusting state with your partner or with your spouse, that can be a, it's, it's not just 
you know, emotionally tumultuous to go through, but it actually is a disadvantage to just how you engage with the world. So it's almost, yes. I, I guess in the workshop, I, I spend a, a part of the time making almost a pragmatic argument for working through conflict resolution. Cause it's like, why try, why to, why work all this out? Why, why go into all these hard conversations and talk about all these, you know, emotionally tense things? Why not just I don't kind of wait it out and just talk about the things we both agree with and do things that we both kind of like, and then let the other person just kind of live their lives and be themselves. And why do we have to be bothered with all of this, you know, negotiation over everything? And I guess my reply to that is a pragmatic one. Well, when both your perspectives are looking at something, when both of you are trying to figure out parenting, when both of you are trying to figure out your finances and both of you are trying to figure out, you know, building a house, you're going to have a way more three-dimensional perspective. Yes. And this is, that's one of the things you say, you say a lot of us think that we need to fix, we need to focus and fix our needs and get Mm -hmm. our needs met. But when reality, we need to reinforce the bond. Mm -hmm. And when, when you really go into that, I was like, that makes perfect, it, it makes perfect sense. And it's a much deeper perspective. And I was like, I'm not feeling good about this. My needs aren't being met or he right. or she's doing this. And yeah. right. Right. Um, That's the first thing I, people like, come into couples therapy complaining. Yes. It's like they're not meeting of my needs. Of course they do. It's the other person or, and, and my needs aren't being met. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I like, and uh, this is mind training and a lot of the other work relationship experts we've been learning from talk about this. And it's like this, but this is, I think this is like this, um, it's almost like this bigger consciousness that needs mm. that we're all kind of circling around now. Mm. <laughs> I love it. I really yeah. do. Yeah. Um, it's like this we thinking. Terry Real talks about it. It's not yeah. about you and me. It's we. We have to face this challenge together. It's like it's like almost mm. like this outside thing. I know it's there, there's two people here, but it's like the two of us have to be together to face this challenge, yeah. not you against me. Sure. Right? Yeah. So so how do you explain this to couples? Yeah. Right? Because I'm sure you have to, mm-hmm. it's like a mind shift. Yeah. Well, I I use an analogy sometimes to explain just exactly what you're describing of like, you know, the goal, you know, when you're so- trying to figure out an argument, it's like if like the argument is like a soccer ball, the goal is to kick the soccer ball back and forth, not to chick- not to kick each other back and forth. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like the, the thing you're trying to solve is the problem. It's the thing at hand. It's the negotiation. Like I said, it, it could be the you know, it's the financial situation. It's what to do about your in-laws. It's what to do about the funeral that you have to plan. It's what to do about the kid that's acting out in a way that you're really worried for their safety and you're really worried they're making decisions for their life that is actually going to end up in this terrible place. And so one of you is taking a more passive approach to that. One of you taken is taking perhaps maybe a more critical or more activated approach to that. Both of you are frustrated at each other for how you're acting towards your kid. It's like, it, it can be really frustrating. It's like, they're not listening to me. They're not seeing where I'm at here. They're not they're not being there for me. Like the, the, the main complaint is they're not meeting my needs. They're not doing what I need in order to be okay in this circumstance. And it's not like, I think that that's wrong. You know, that's not really what I'm trying to convince people of that. That's a bad thing or that's wrong. It's just like, we need to pivot our attention to a totally different domain. And that's, well, it's exactly what you just described. It's how do we come together towards the problem versus being at each other's throats? And, and that, I think the first step in, in being able to establish that I, I've always thought is acknowledging that we actually have the same goal. Um, we both want our kid to be okay. Yes. You know, and, and that's actually a really helpful starting point. It seems like a given, but it's not always a given, you know, and 
that'll actually relax a lot of the intense feelings. It's like we both want to connect physically and romantically. We both want to have a really, you know, I don't know, connected and intimate and fun romantic life where we go out on dates and we're enjoying all these, you know, uh, novel experiences. We both would love to travel. We both, you know, like you start to nail down what are the things that we actually both want. And then what you mm-hmm. find is you, are, you often have a difference in strategy. And you think they just don't appreciate what I want. They just don't have an acknowledgement for my needs. They just, they don't, they don't care about what's important to me. And I'm like, I, I, I often challenge that because at least at the beginning, at least at the beginning of the relationship, you both wanted the same thing. And maybe not all the same things, but I just wonder if like 90% of it is actually fairly common. Like it's, it's especially hard when you're in situations like, well, they want kids and I don't. Um, but even in circumstances like that, it's like zoom out even further. Well, what do you really both want? Maybe you both want the ability to pursue things that are meaningful and also to feel the freedom to have the flexibility to enjoy those things. Maybe you, you mm-hmm. want a legacy. Maybe, maybe even the partner that doesn't want kids wants a version of a legacy, but they think you know, pursuing that legacy through their career. They pursue that legacy through their activity within their community or their church or something, you know? And so if we can zoom out, it's like, well, what's the overall overall goal? It's like, well, it's kids. Okay, we'll zoom out even further. Like, what's even the goal of that? Well, I, I, you know, when I was young, I just, I watched my mother and my grandmother and I watched, you know, just like this family tradition of having kids and passing that along. And and I just imagine the second half of my life being surrounded with the people that I love. And there's a lot of different ways to solve that. You know, one of them could be that maybe your partner didn't realize how much that dream wasn't just attached to the prospect of having kids, but is actually deeply embedded in how you saw your life from the beginning since you were young. That, that some of those experiences are like key emotional, you know, dreams for you. It's it's not just, it's goes far beyond just the the surface level of you know, do we want to have to deal with diapers or not? Or maybe on the mm. other end, maybe there's a way that you could have like a really fulfilling, you know, full life full of community and rich connection to people that you care about that aren't necessarily your biological children. Um, certainly many parents and couples are thrust into that circumstance, even just from biological, you know, reasons. And, you know, that the IVF treatments failed or, you know, there was something, some sort of catastrophe that resulted that they couldn't have kids. They're not doomed. You know, they can live fulfilling, wonderful lives and we, we grieve that prospect all the same. But I, I guess what I'm saying is, is that there's lots of flexible ways to achieve dreams. Yes. And strategies are flexible. My guess is that the overarching dream, the overarching values that drive your life are actually fairly shared. That we often share that with the vast majority of humanity and, and we especially share that with the people that we partner our lives to. Um, yeah. Whatever degree. So, and you, you do use the word negotiation rather than conflict a lot, which I'm like, yeah, okay, this is, and, and if you can come at it from this approach that we're talking about, the we approach, then you can look at a lot of these differences that you have mm-hmm. um, as, okay, we got to negotiate this, right? And, but you, but you do teach, which is great, is that you want, if you really want to talk about the things that matter most to you, you want to do that in an honest mm-hmm. and a loving way, yeah, right? Okay, so how do you and because this is the other thing too, you also talk about consent mm. this wasn't this is this is something that I was like I, I don't really think a lot about, mm. but this is an important important part of your negotiation or conflict resolution yeah 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 can we can right. we talk about that Matthias yeah about, I, I, you know I, obviously the honesty part and the, the most loving part and consent mm-hmm. why is consent so important 
And what happens if you don't have consent? Absolutely. Well, I mean, and that's that's a bit of a strange idea, probably for people listening that don't have the full context of it. I guess the idea is yeah. you want you want your partner to feel completely on board and completely excited about the solution that they have, and you don't want you don't want people to be agreeing with you out of appeasement or out of guilt, because that doesn't protect their ability to give full consent. I guess that's that's my point in that moment. So, like, if I'm just guilt tripping you into having sex, then you know, like, it's not like that person's super excited about that experience. It's not like that's actually a, a, a close emotional encounter. It's like that person, there was yeah. a part of that person that wasn't allowed to come to the table and negotiate. Um, and, and I, and I guess I, it, you know, within the honesty, there, there's kind of like that model within the, within the workshop that I break down that what you really want to start with is you want to start with being honest. Yeah. You, you don't want to avoid the fight. You don't want to just like, you know, push it off. You don't want to just kind of discard your experience that that isn't, really helpful either for the reasons we laid out at the beginning of this podcast. Well, you know, you want both perspectives to be able to be engaging the problems that are often very complex. You want two minds, you know, set on that problem, not just one. And then, you know, from that point, you have to do it in a loving way. And the way that I break that down, um, I have a few different ways, but one of them is that you don't, you know, embed it with lots of accusation and criticism. It's really hard for someone to be able to absorb what you're trying to say. And, to negotiate through different strategies when they're being attacked constantly. And the reality is like, they might merit the attack. Like, you know, when you say like, you're always late, that might completely be the case. That might be true. But when you infuse those accusations, often it changes the topic of conversation. And, and then you're kind of off to the races on talking about something else. For example, like you come home and then, I don't know, you're trying to, <laughs> you're trying to get home for dinner and you're late. And then your partner comes at you like, oh, you're always late for dinner. And you're like, oh, I'm not always late. And it was like, well, yeah, you are. You were late last Thursday. It was like, no, last Thursday, it was just because my car broke down. And like, it wasn't just because I was like late and I wasn't organizing something. It was because of, you know, like a real reason. It was like, well, was this a real reason? It was like, well, well, yeah, like I had stuff at work that was happening. It was like, gosh, you just never really pay attention. You just don't prioritize the fact that I'm here making dinner, trying to make sure that things are happening. The kids are going crazy around this time. Like, you just don't really care that I'm just having to shoulder all this by myself. Yes, I do. I care that I'm like, that about you? Like, I'm trying yes, to get this home. This whole like, argument is just going down. Like you yeah. said, it's like, this is so common, though. So common. You're, and what's get, you're, what you're, gets lost <laughs> in that moment is having, is, is you're, you're off on the races on some sort of tangent about like, if you care about the kids being tired and crazy or not. And the thing that gets lost is what time should I be home? That that's hmm. actually the topic that you were trying to talk about. But then you talked about last week when you were late and then you talked about the car and then you talked about work and then you talked about, you know, if if one partner senses the urgency of how tired the kids are and that, you know, you need to come and help them relieve them. Like you're you're dancing all around the conversation. You're not actually having the conversation of what time do we both agree that I should be home? And the reality is when you infuse an accusation, when you're kind of blaming somebody, even if it's justified, it is distracting towards that end. And so you need to find and a way. And it triggers defensiveness yeah. immediately, almost, right? Because you're like, you're defending yourself. And now it's almost like you've lost your, you've lost that goal of like bonding and connection. You're like, okay, now it's like me against you. It's just, that is the dynamic yeah. you're at play. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. So that's, yeah. um, and then, then that flows into the consent piece because. You know, if you're just accusing people, if you're if you're using a lot of blame, again, even if it's justified, you don't care about me, you don't, you know, appreciate me, you don't see everything that I do at work, you know, when you're infusing these things, then the other partner isn't trying to help solve the problem. They're just trying to get out of the argument because this is stressful and, and hard and, and they're trying to feel vindicated. They don't want to feel accused and 
They're trying to defend their own reputation and their own perspective. All of these activities are anything but productive in trying to negotiate. And so the model that I kind of break down in the workshop is, is you want to actually say things honestly, but you want to do so in a non-accusational way. And I break down in the workshop a different method for being able to do that and how to speak your truth, but being able to say that in a way that's non-accusational. And then how to maneuver through negotiation in ways that protect the other person, you know, the other person's consent. And, and that's just another way of saying that the other person can be on board. The other person can feel 100% excited and, and down for it. And they take personal responsibility for that decision. They don't feel resentful later. They don't feel like, well, they guilted me into it. They talked me into it. I had no choice. Like if I didn't agree, they would have been mad for the rest of the night. If I didn't agree, they would have been all quiet and punishing and passive aggressive. Like you want them to 100% agree because they take personal ownership over the decision. That's what I mean by consent there. It's like, you know, I want to do this because I 100% am stoked about it. Not because I feel under duress, not because I feel manipulated, not because I feel like, well, you're just going to be a complete hot mess if I don't do it. Like that doesn't lead to healthy negotiation because all that does is push off the conflict for like six months down the road when that resentment builds up and builds up and builds up. And then, well, then you're, you know, you're back in the thick of it. You want a solution that feels good and then you can like put your stamp of approval on it and then you can move on. And, yes. and so that combo of like, be honest, do so in a way that's compassionate and loving. Don't be accusational. It, not even because it's like morally a bad thing, although it might be, but it's like, it's just not very pragmatic towards the end of negotiating. That's right. It's not, it's not, you're not being pr- productive or pragmatic. Yeah. It's just not in your best interest of it beyond, yes. you know, if it's right or wrong, it's just yeah. not in your best interest because you might feel justified, but that's almost beside the point. Yeah. So in the, in the example you gave Matthias about person coming home late and, you know, this other per- the, the, the partner is like, okay, I made dinner. I've been with the kids all day. I'm freaking exhausted. And you're late again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So the other approach would be, I, I feel, I, I feel upset and very, and angry mm-hmm. and I, I'm physically exhausted from a day that, you know, mm-hmm. what a day. And, and I also, you don't want to use, so you don't want to use the word, like, I feel very disrespected when you're late. Cause that's mm-hmm. not a feeling. That's right. a, yeah. a thought. Okay. Yeah. I feel like you don't care about <laughs> I'm trying me. To find, I'm trying to find, no, I feel like you don't care about me. That's, that's, a, cause that's an not accusation. Emotion. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, not okay. on the wheel chart that they teach you. So can you please, as a, as a, okay, as an individual or couples therapist, please walk me through the right wordage here, the wording. <laughs> yeah. Around, the wording's I, I mean, right, the, like, you know, totally. like, let's just give an example of a good, I feel well, statement. And let's just acknowledge not accusatory too. or blaming or. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's just acknowledge too. It's hard to think of the right wor- way to word it when you're in the heated yes, moment. Yes, it is. And and a lot of these things can feel clunky and a little bit therapisty. And and the reality is that these are skills. These are skills that you build up. And any skill is clunky when you first use it. And it always feels unnatural. Like that's that's yes. something I actually prep clients on. Is like I'm going to teach you these relational like conflict resolution skills, how to phrase these things. It's not going to be how you normally would phrase it. How you normally are phrasing it is not working. <laughs> Okay, so like we need a new way. <laughs> That's of why I'm it. here, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So I'm gonna teach you a new way. It's gonna feel awkward, but yeah. But here's the reality: is that authenticity is not about what feels natural. It's about what's aligned with my values. Oh, I like that. That is, we're gonna quote this, Matthias. That's yeah. a good one. It's a good one. Authenticity <laughs> is not about what feels natural. It's about what's aligned with my values. I like that. Because what feels natural might be losing your temper. But maybe what's aligned with your values is expressing the truth behind that anger, but in a way that the other person can receive it in a way that's full of compassion and understanding, yet grounded in the truth. And that's, that's an incredibly hard line. 
to, to pencil like down. That. And I think the expectation that I can just use something like an I feel statement and that will solve all my problems is not is not grounded in reality. So when I say, no, here's how to use an I feel statement, <laughs> what I'm saying is here's maybe the rudimentary steps to start practicing and you're going to engage it in your own voice and in your own way. And you're going to find that certain things work with your partner and some things make your partner go, why are you talking like that? And then you, you know, you find a different way to say it. And so, you know, the basic structure, and this is actually inspired by the Gottman model. So that's, that's something I, I, you know, really lean into yes. pretty heavily in my couple's work is the work of John and Julie Gottman, um, would be something like an, I feel statement. So talking about the emotion you feel and then asking for essentially a positively stated need. And what I mean by that, by positively stated, I don't mean like happy or like positive emotion. What I mean is it's asking for something that you want them to do rather than what you want them not to do. So I could say, you know, to my yes. kid, maybe my kids, you know, running around the pool and I say, stop running. That's a really vague instruction because that does that mean stand still? Does that mean walk? Does that mean, you know, what, what do you mean? Stop running. You know, it's so you want to say it positively or you want to say what you should do, not what you shouldn't do, but what you should do. So like, hey, mm. walk slower, you know, or if you're on the phone and your kids, you know, bugging you and talking and being really loud, you could yell, shut up. But that's not clear. Does that mean stop talking for the rest of the day? Does that mean, you know, just talk a little bit quieter? Does that mean I can just leave the room and then I can talk at full volume so that mom can be on the phone? Like there's a lot of ambiguity when you say things, um, what you shouldn't do, a negatively stated need. But if you said, hey, please go into the other room, mommy's on the phone or, you know, like that's positively stated. It's really instructive and the person knows exactly what to do, be able to satisfy what you need in that moment. And so that's that's the second component is a positively stated need. The first one is to preempt that with the emotion that you're feeling, because, again, what you want to do is you want to draw them into understanding your experience and you want them to be motivated to fulfill your need, not out of guilt, not out of shame, not out of, you know, duress but because they warmly connect to you and they warmly see how something's affecting you and you want them changing because they care about you and they do, but it, it's hard to access that with a lot of accusation. So something like, Hey, you know, like mm. I've been, gosh, I've been trying to like manage the kids and get stuff ready for dinner. I've been trying to like cook all this. And now the meal's cold. Like you got home 30 minutes late and you know how like fried chicken kind of gets like soggy after a while. And so I'm really disappointed because I spent like two hours trying to make this chicken and like, mar you know, like marinating it and all this different stuff. And now it's soggy and it's not going to be as good. I feel super like honestly depressed about dinner. And then I feel really anxious <laughs> about what to do about the food. I was excited and now I'm depressed. Yeah, I'm just depressed. Yeah. Like, like. <laughs> I, I'm so disappointed you were at home on time. I wanted to share this great meal with you. I wanted you to eat it fresh because I was so excited. I spent a lot of time planning and making it for you. Hey, next time, I need you to be home on time or at least let me know if you're going to be late so that I can make this meal fresh for you because I'm really excited. That, and honestly, I could really use the help with the kids as well. If you could come in and immediately grab the kids so I can finish dinner and put things on the plate, man, that would make my evening so much better. Can you see how you got to you, say everything that you yes. felt? But I really like that. Yeah, but it's really felt good. Totally different. Yeah. It was an invitation, <laughs> right? In the strategy. Yeah. Yeah. So I know myself, Matthias. I yeah, would just yeah. say, okay, this is these are the, the skills that I am working on. Really. Mm. It's like you said, it's a skill. Mm. Uh, all of this is really. Yeah. And I think for myself, because I'm a very emotionally charged person, like if you know, if I get if I'm upset about something, it's like I would probably I'm gonna do my best to do the I feel statement and then I'd be like, I'm going to be back in like, you know, five, 10 minutes after I cool down and then we'll leave. How about that? Like, like, I need to take, I'm going to take a break. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know where the quote came from, but <laughs> I heard someone say once that the antidote to anger is delay. And delay. I love 
the antidote yeah, to anger like and delay. And just I'm like, not really good at taking breaks either, but it's just hating myself. Like if I tried to do it, I feel statement in a very like I could be like really heated about it and like, ah, and then I'm like, yeah. fine, I just, and then I'll be back. <laughs> totally. And I think most people feel guilty about the delay thing, like putting it off because we feel like, okay, if I don't bring it up now, I'm never going to bring it up. And, and my response to that is like, mm. make a deal that with yourself that you won't, you know, it, the reality is that you do need to go in, not all hot and bothered. You do need to go in with a little bit of self-control. That is the truth. And so if you're feeling activated, if you're feeling frustrated, Take some responsibility personally to go cool off or to wait for a moment to engage the conversation when you can feel at least like, I don't know, 50% activated, not 100%. Because if you go in really hot and heavy, it's going to do more damage. And I think a lot of us like, yes. don't want to just push it off because I don't want to avoid the emotion. I don't want to repress it. Like, it's not fair that I have to put up with this. Like, he deserves to hear it. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I 100% just delay it just a little bit. Because if you can go in with a cooler emotional temperature then you're actually going to get more of what you want. It's, it's not like because he deserves you being nicer or something or she deserves you being nicer or something. It's, it's like you, yeah, you want to approach it honestly. You want to approach it compassionately, kindly. You want to approach it in a way that invites them into your positively stated need out of their own will, not because they feel guilted or, you know, whatever. It's, you want to respect their consent is another way to think about that. Yeah. Um, that's... So I loved how your workshop, and you, you talked about this in the beginning too, Matthias, about how um, you, you teach, and I think this is so good, about the personality styles. Mm -hmm. Right. And I've never really focused a lot. I've never really, you know, because I, I mean, every week we interview a different relationship expert and I'm like, not a lot are talking about personality differences and how okay. it's like, this is how, uh, like a lot of who we are, how we are is because we're wired that way. It's just like, this is part of who I am. Right. Mm -hmm. And right. it's right. putting the focus on that part of uh, like how important that mm -hmm. is. Well, like we're just different people with different backgrounds. The way we were raised is so different, mm -hmm. different cultures and, and just like personality quirks. It's just like, like, and you, and you, okay. So, and this was a new, I'd, I'd never heard of the big five personality. Is it types, traits? Yeah, big five personality big traits. Five? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'd never yeah, heard of that before. Model. Yes. So I, I, I want people to take your course, but I just thought yeah. this was, this was a very, um, and it, it, so the acronym's OCEAN. Yeah, right? that's right. That's right. Yeah. So it's made up of like five different yeah. traits, openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. Yeah. It's a, it's a great personality model. The, the reason that I shared it in the course was because we moralize the intersections of our personalities. Meaning that yes. when we conflict with somebody, we make it about their moral insufficiency. Um, <laughs> this is so, this does happen a lot. Yeah, yeah. So if I'm really extroverted <laughs> and then my partner's really introverted, it's really easy for me to be like, why are you so socially anxious? Why aren't you more outgoing? Like, why do you always get quiet and stand in the corner? Why won't you just relax? Like, that's that's the common breakdown of the extrovert, of the introvert is like, you just need to chill. You need to relax. You need to unwind. Hey, when you have a little wine, you can loosen up. Why can't you just get there, you know, on your own? And so that's that's moralizing. It's moralizing. It's making something that's about personality temperament into a moral deficiency. And all the same yes. thing can happen if the other one, the introvert will usually moralize the extrovert by saying that they're essentially kind of bullheaded and arrogant and they, you know, try to draw all the attention onto them. And they're kind of, I don't know, like um, trying to 
trying for the limelight all the time. And they're really not courteous of other people's needs. They're not courteous about how their jokes make other people feel. They'll often make jokes at other person's expense and sometimes embarrass other people in front of a large crowd and, and not, you know, be very courteous or mindful of how they feel about that. And so they see the, the extrovert's boisterousness as incourteous, rude, you know, unrestrained and exhausting, you know? And so if you don't maybe have a time to take a step back and to really do some self-reflection around, am I just a different personality temperament than my partner? And have I been moralizing and turning their differences into moral faults? And Mm, I think what you might find is that the majority of your biggest arguments are at the intersection of your personality. Your fight's about money. It's not just about someone's a spender, someone's a saver. That's not specific enough. That someone might be high in trait conscientiousness. They're very tidy people. They're very organized and orderly. And then you have another person who's high in extroversion and trait openness. And that's a person who's really creative and loves new experiences. They love novelty. They like trying new things. They're a bit disorganized. They, they chase the moment. They chase the vibe. And that's actually what attracted you to them in the first place was because they made your life more fun and interesting. And then you're mad that they're spending all your money. And uh, <laughs> it's like... Yeah, yeah. Those, so, those exist at the intersection of personality yes. markers. Yeah. You must find this, this is such a common thing, but it's having that understanding and that training that you do as a psychotherapist to understand how the human mind really works. Because like you said, I think it's like in the beginning, the, all these things that are so different about your partner that attracted you to them, it's like opened you up to different ways of being and thinking, right? Right. And then once you're with somebody and you're living with them and you're partnered with them, it's like- these things that you were so different in the beginning are now like really like, oh no, this is, they're, they're too different from me. We mm-hmm. need to be more similar. Yeah. And if, and then when they're not, like you said, it's like demoralized. It's turning into a, a moral conversation rather than, right. well, that's their personality. Mm-hmm. So you're helping couples to really look at that perspective too. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and it, it's something that's self-evidently true once you start looking at it like i don't know like what's cool is i I have people take a personality test called uh, understandmyself.com you know so i don't have my own personality test i'm not a i don't know i don't have the training to build a test like that but uh there's there's lots of really qualified tests there's some that are free understandmyself.com i'm gonna do that yeah that one's like 10 bucks and then there's there's another there's a few other ones that are just free on there and and so you take the test and and I know that understandmyself.com, they'll do one where you can actually, you can take one and your partner can take one and then it compares and contrasts you two and talks about where you're mm-hmm. likely to misunderstand each other and where you're likely to understand each other. So that's fun. I mean, uh, fair warning that the site doesn't do a very great job of explaining trait neuroticism and it just sounds like a pretty negative thing. Um, it sounds yes, like- Yes, neuroticism doesn't seem like- no. But but you explain it as yeah. in, <laughs> well, it's, it's mean, really like I, yeah. in a, a simple way. I didn't realize that neuroticism because that's one of that's the end in ocean. Yep. Yeah. Well, and we so never use be high. We never use neurotic as a compliment. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so <laughs> so yeah, people are pretty offended to see like what I was ninety percent score neuroticism. I'm neurotic. This I didn't know dumb neurotic. Tough, this is stupid. Yeah. Like the enneagram doesn't make me feel this bad. Um, you know. So there's that. But. I, I think that two things about that point, just I know this might feel like we're in the weeds a little bit, but it's worth saying just so someone doesn't misunderstand it. Neuroticism, it's really hard to tell if it, that's a, like a core part of your personality is that your neuroticism, by the way, is sensitivity to pain. That just means like if, if you were to experience something kind of, you know, intense or something maybe disturbing, you would feel and experience the pain of that event to a higher degree than someone who's low in neuroticism. 
So there's some people that are really go with the flow, really relaxed. People, you know, their boss yells at them. They don't go home and and ruminate about it. They're just like, oh, well, whatever. I guess he was having a bad day. And they just kind of go on. And then there's other people, their boss yells at them. And it's like it messes up their week, you know. And so you mm. could say that someone who, you know, ruminates on that more is higher in trait neuroticism. But it's really hard to tell if that's because of like trauma in the past, if that's like because something happened to you and you got some wounds to heal or if that's like because temperamentally you're just a more sensitive person. I find that if it's temperamentally like that you're higher neuroticism, that doesn't actually work itself out into feeling like high levels of depression and anxiety all the time. Mm. Um, but that especially once you kind of heal the wounds underneath of the painful things that you've been through, it makes you a really like sensitive and like warm person to other people. Like you're just really in touch with like the vibe of a room. You can walk in a room and tell if it's awkward or if it's, you know, yeah. if, it's, if it's really warm and trust. Like you can, t- you are really good at telling if you can trust people. You're good at telling if something's safe or not. You're very protective of other, of other people. I, th- I think I'm very highly neurotic. Yeah. Hey, that's, that's <laughs> I'm going to take yourself. this. I'm going to take this test because, but I, but what I'm learning, um, cause I'm getting, I have a, a coach that I work with as well. And she's teaching me, um, cause I know that I ruminate and I yeah. think that people that, cause you know, you just can't, you know, your mind is on a cycle of like thinking over and over and over. And I'm just like trying to learn how to, how to not ruminate so much. Yeah. And I'm sure that might be a trait of somebody's on a highly neurotic scale. Perhaps, but I'll in, see. And I say that just because I don't want people to get offended when they take the test and the test tells them they're neurotic. No, I, all, I, that, <laughs> all that says is you experience a lot of negative emotion. You're just you're you're, you're having a hard time. That's all that says. It's like, <laughs> man, it, you're just in the thick of it, man. And uh, you know, so that when you see that, don't be like, oh, I'm just the kind of person who's weak or sensitive, or I'm just anxious and there's nothing I can do about it because that's just my personality. I'm like, no, 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 that's the wrong conclusion. Um, it's, mm. it's really hard to differentiate between like trauma-based neuroticism and personality-based neuroticism. Um, it's often the case when you go to therapy and you have some like really just some basic skills around how to handle traumatic events and do some internal work and some healing that like your overall day-to-day experience is, is really positive and really warm. It's, it's, um, it's more so the case that, yeah, you're sensitive to the world around you and that when things happen in the world, you pay really close attention. And that's actually yeah. has just as much of a bright side to it as a shadow side. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's my disclaimer for the big five. Yeah. It's, it's going to be fun like, until so you I'll get to your autism. I'll let you know how it goes, Matthias. <laughs> I'll see what yeah. my personality type comes out. I get with. so much negative pushback <laughs> on that test. It's, it's, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> oh, do you? Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll be kind. Well, and it's, it. it's from highly neurotic people who score high neuroticism. And I'm like, well, <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, so you talk about, um, you know, ways that we can, you know, obviously at the end of the day, if you're, if you've got people that are in couples therapy or individuals that are coming, we want to improve and grow Mm -hmm. and increase our connection to the people that we love the most and to ourselves. Right. And really, and you, and you do talk about, um, and the Gottmans, I did want to mention that my husband and I took, um, a weekend intensive oh. with the Gottmans. Oh, cool. That's awesome. With Julie and, and John. It was fantastic. Oh, with them personally? Yes. It was oh, during was COVID. That? that was great. It was, it was incredible. And they were wow. in their home in, um, in Washington. Yeah. And so it was like, you know, it was a virtual, uh-huh. but oh. it, it, I mean, I mean, because we couldn't do the in-person, it was COVID. <laughs> we sure, signed up yeah. for the in-person. And then we had, but it was definitely in first, like it was, it was fantastic. Wow. And what they, they teach is, Yes, it's the day to day. It's the little things, and you you talk about this. It is. This is not. Um, yes, you can go on these beautiful vacations and plan, 
um, okay, a, a beautiful date and have these experiences with your partner, which I think are important. Yeah. But really it's the day-to-day. It's the small things that matter. It's the everyday exchanges mm. and that are going to help you keep and build your connection. Yeah, well said. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it's about um, being invested in what your partner mm-hmm. cares about. And you give these great examples about with you and your wife, Paige, and how, like, you know, you were talking about at, during your workshop about ice and you're like learning how to make these beautiful cubes of ice and like, and yeah, like the yeah. science of ice and whatever else. And it's like, oh, obviously, yeah. well, not, not obviously, really but she's, not, a... she's not like totally a nice. No, right? but... no, she's not. It's so funny. Yeah. I, I got to learn about that. These crystal clear ice cubes. I wanted, like I, I was making like whiskey cocktails and, and sometimes when you go to these really like bougie cocktail bars, they'll have this like crystal clear ice. It looks like a brick of glass. And I thought that was yeah. cool. I wanted to learn how to make, you know, crystal clear ice myself. And, and there's lots of different methods. You can boil the water to a certain point to get rid of minerals. You have to freeze it at a certain temperature and take it out at a certain time before it freezes over all the way, all this stuff. And I was just talking about how, like, it's not that you're taking an interest in your partner's interests because Paige, she could care less about ice. Like, I would make her a cocktail. I'm like, yeah, look, the ice is clear. She's like, cool. Does it make the drink cold? I'm like, yeah. She's exactly. Like, and, right, the, and the drink's great. Thank you. Good ice. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but you're taking an interest in why your partner finds it interesting. Yeah. And that's what makes yes. it genuine and authentic. It's like, well, am I going to fake an interest in ATVs or hunting or, you know, crochet? Like, no, you're interested in why your partner finds it interesting. You're asking about your partner's right. first experience with it, why they found it compelling in the first place, how they got into it. Like, what are some of the memories that they have um, of, you know, doing those activities with people that they really care about? Maybe it's that they grew up go hunting with their dad. Maybe it was that they sewed with their grandma. And so it's like, what are those memories? Tap into that. That's the part you're taking an interest in and you'll watch your partner just light up. And if you yes. only interface with your partner on the areas that you're both interested, that's like 10% of your relationship. Like it's not very high. That's you're, a you're great a lot on the table. That is a really good point. And it's, it's, you, you talk about intentionality and how important that is. And, you know, I, so I learned, I've like, I'm, I'm constantly learning and I've learned from you for sure, Matthias. So, yeah, so this yeah. week I was like, <laughs> I'm going to be more, like, I have to, I, I want to be more intentional. And yeah. it's just a little, and I, you know, I want to engage with my partner in new ways to keep mm. things, you know, going and interesting. So anyways, obviously the midterm elections are ha- happened yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we're, we live in Canada, but my husband's mm-hmm. half American. Mm-hmm. And so he's dual citizen, I should say, well, great, same thing. Yeah. But, um, I, I don't know. I don't really know much at all about us politics, but he does a lot. Yeah. He's like an expert. I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. I know it's going to be this intense, long conversation, but here we go. Like, because yeah. he just is so interested and intelligent about it. Mm. So I do learn a lot from him in that example. So I'm like, tell me what's going on. Like, I just know I'll get the download mm-hmm. and ask more questions. But it's like he's engaged in that conversation, and he is he lit he lights up when he talks about these. I'm not interested in it, but I want, I know he is. So that's just an example of mm. where. Yeah, it's um, a great example. And I'm yep. interested in it. I am interested in that because I know he is too. Yeah. yeah. And I would say give your partner the interest in their thing that you want them to take in your thing. Does that make sense? Yes. Like, so listen with the level of enthusiasm to the political banter is as you want him to listen to, you know, whatever you're interested in. And I think yeah. people reciprocally do that. Man, so much just more fun. You know, it's. Absolutely. You get to show people yeah. the things that you're excited about and yeah. you get to share. It's more fun to, to delight in the things that you love with someone that you love. The gift you give. That your is, 
Absolutely true. Absolutely yeah. true. That's the joy in life. Yeah. Wow. That's right. Well, I've so enjoyed our conversation, Matthias. Yeah. I really, um, you're just as charming and kind <laughs> and generous in person as you are on screen and oh, on kind. social. And, and yeah. you're just a great teacher as well. So mm. I've, I really enjoy oh. spending time with you. So thank you. Yeah, that's so kind to say. Thanks for saying that. I've, I've loved this time as well. You're a great interviewer. It was a great conversation. And yeah, so thankful that you reached out. So thankful to be on. Please mark your calendars for April 15th, 2023, when we at Real Love Ready will be hosting an in-person relationship summit held in Vancouver, British Columbia, with world-renowned experts who will spend a full day teaching us how to love better and build stronger loving relationships. Buy your tickets at realloveready.com. We will see you there. Please visit realloveready.com to become a member of our community. Submit your relationship questions for our podcast experts at reallovereadypodcast at gmail.com. We read everything you send. Be sure to rate and review this podcast. Your feedback helps us get you the relationship advice and guidance you need. The Real Love Ready podcast is recorded and edited by Maya Anstey. Transcriptions by otter.ai and edited by Maya Anstey. We at Real Love Ready acknowledge and express gratitude for the Coast Salish people, the stewards of the land on which we work and play, and encourage everyone listening to take a moment to acknowledge and express gratitude for those that have stewarded and continue to steward the land that you live on as well.